You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Smart Assets podcast. I'm your host, Chris Thompson, and we have a special guest for you today, Jeff Holst. Jeff is a recovering, a recovering attorney and a full-time real estate investor with more than 250 residential units and several commercial properties. He's the co-host of the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show, where they mix bourbon, <laughs> bourbon old fashions and real estate investing. In February, Jeff climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and stood at the highest point in Africa. He's the co-host and co-founder of the Last Life Ever podcast, and he's passionate about helping people live their best, the best possible version of their last life ever. Jeff, man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, we've been looking, looking forward to uh, chatting with you for some time now. Um, you know, we know you've got a great story. So really, I'd like to start there. Uh, tell us about your story uh, and why you're the guy for known to not have any bad days. Right. So uh, I almost feel like I tell this story so much that there can't be anyone left that hasn't heard it, right? Uh, but, uh, but just in case, we'll go out and do it again. So when I was 17, I decided not to have bad days. It was, it was literally that simple. Uh, I just woke up one day and I was kind of in a bad mood. And I, I remember I, w- I was in the bathroom looking at the mirror and I was thinking about how terrible everything was. And I just went, huh, what actually is terrible? Like I, I, I was trying to think of all this. I felt like everything was terrible, but then I started going, okay, well, I mean, I'm young, I'm healthy and I live in America. Like how bad can it really be? And I was like, you know what? Today's actually not that bad of a day and I'm just going to have a good day today. And then I promptly went out and had another day that was exactly like every other day that I ever had. Right. It wasn't any better or worse. Um, but I, but I, I kind of started thinking about that and more and more thinking about it. And, and I kept telling myself out loud over and over again, today's going to be a good day. Today's a good day. And after a while of doing that, one day I walked into a 7-Eleven and the guy behind the counter said to me, how are you doing today? And I just said, without even really thinking about it, I never have bad days. And I suddenly realized it was true. I hadn't had a bad day in a couple of months at that point. And uh, that was when I was 17. I just, I haven't had a bad day since. I've had things that have happened that have been challenging. Um, and people who have, you know, listened to my story probably think, wow, if you cannot have a bad day when you uh, get diagnosed with leukemia, for example, uh, which happened to me in 2008. And I mean, I I thought I was going to die for a few weeks. I mean, I, I there didn't, it didn't look good. It was kind of touch and go. Uh, fortunately, I came through that. Um, and then the bigger problem with that was there was, I was just a bankruptcy attorney at the time and, uh, I was working for myself and I had had one other attorney working for me and he quit about a week before I was diagnosed with bank, uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, leukemia. And, uh, so we went from two attorneys to zero overnight, couldn't work. And it cost a lot of money to keep the firm open. And I ended up with a huge pile of debt. This was 2010, right? So um, 2010 was not exactly the best time to be um, with a huge pile of debt. And I ended up being uh, filing personal bankruptcy. So, uh, so that was actually almost more challenging than getting sick because it felt like a personal failure. Right. Um, but I, I 
you know, through that whole time, I, I really can say I didn't have bad days. And people say, well, how can that possibly be? Like, you got diagnosed with leukemia. That must have been really traumatic. Well, yeah, it was traumatic. Uh, it wasn't my favorite minute, right? But uh, that day wasn't that bad. Uh, when I um, was diagnosed, it was 10 o'clock at night. And the first 22 hours of the day, I uh, it was fine. Everything was good. So it didn't really ruin that day. And then the next day, I had a little perspective on it. And that was a challenging day, too, because it's like you're in the hospital and you're like, I don't know what's going on, except for I have leukemia and you know I'm probably going to die. Um, but then about halfway through the day, they had a shift change and, and this new nurse arrived and she came into the room and she looked at me and she's like, oh, my God, Jeff, I'm so sad to see you here. And I recognized her instantly. And I thought, I'm so happy I'm here because this was my babysitter from when I was a kid and I hadn't seen her in like a decade. And I was just like really excited to see her. Uh, and what happened, I think, is that that made that day a good day for me. And, you know, good and bad stuff happens every day. Yeah, getting diagnosed with leukemia, being stuck in the hospital, that that's objectively not great. Mm -hmm. uh, but this other stuff was happening. Um, you know, my, my family had come out to support me. I had tons and tons of visitors and I knew that people loved me. And frankly, uh, it clarified my perspective on life instantly. In retrospect, it's probably one of the best things that happened to me uh, because it, it caused me to realize, one, I was very content with what was going on in my life. Um, and two, I was also really, really wanting to stay alive. And before that, I was just kind of going through the motions, you know, just I, I did some fun stuff. I had just gotten back from Peru and uh, we'd gone up to climb Machu Picchu. And, um, you know, I'd already been to 48 states and maybe like I don't know, 30 countries or 25 countries or something. So, so I was doing fun stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, getting sick motivated me to recognize that even though I did some fun stuff, there was a lot of stuff that I was sort of letting, you know, go of because, you know, I just, I'll do that later. I'll do that someday. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, maybe someday might not show up. So I got to go do these fun things now. Uh, and I got to experience the things and I got to give back too. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was challenging, but it wasn't, it wasn't life ruining. It wasn't even day ruining kind of stuff. And it was the same thing when I filed bankruptcy. Um, I, being a bankruptcy attorney, knew the process pretty well. And all the bankruptcy trustees, when you file, uh, you go before a trustee and you sort of testify under oath about the state of your finances. And it's very traumatic for most mm -hmm. people because you're basically saying, yeah, I don't have any money and I have all the stat and you're saying it under oath. And, and it's all true, but it's also really embarrassing because you're in a room of people you don't know and you're just sort of laying bare your finances. And the thing is, some of the trustees were kind of known to be nicer and other ones were known to be a little bit uh, scary. And even as a practicing attorney, there was one that I really never wanted to go in front of because he was just always mean <laughs> and, and crotchety. And I mean, it's not like you could do anything different than the other trustees, but just felt bad. Whenever I would go in front of him, I was always like, oh, I feel bad for my clients. And I was like, I just don't want that guy. Uh, and once you know, that's the one I drew. Uh, and so I sat, sat there in front of him and I was like, uh, this is going to be terrible. And I was like bracing myself. And if I was going to have a bad day, this was going to be it. And he looked at me and he said, Jeff, I'm really sorry to see you here. I mean, obviously he knew me because I'd been in front of him hundreds of times. Well, at least, a, you know, 50, 60 times at that point. So I was filing 
four or 500 bankruptcies at that time um, before that. And uh, they were five or six different uh, trustees, but, but that minute, like I was worried about, and that made the whole thing. Okay. Like, and, and what I think happens is um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, good and bad stuff happening to everyone every day. Um, It's a little bit like when you get a new car and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere right? Like, you know, you get a Honda Civic and now everyone's got a Honda Civic, whatever it is. Um, that's called the um, Bader or Bider, I don't know, Bader or something, Bader-Meinhof phenomena. And um, I think that's how it works with this stuff for me. I told myself enough times that I that today's a good day, that I don't have bad days. So many times, in fact, that my mind got used to not having bad days. And so now when when challenging stuff happens, my brain looks for the familiar. It looks for the thing, like it looks for the Honda Civic. It says, what's good about today? What's good about today? And it's always just about finding that. And, you know, on my show, Last Life Ever, that you mentioned at the beginning, um, we interviewed a guy whose son died in Afghanistan for our Memorial Day show. And he, the reason we interviewed him is because he started this charity uh, to help, you know, veterans and they came back from, from traumatic experiences, um, sort of in honor of his son. And I was, you know, I, I kind of picked at that. I said, you know, hey, that must have been really, really hard because, you know, it is really hard, right? To lose a child is not something you would want to wish on anyone. And he said, for him, the trick was to find three positive things from the negative and it took him a while and he said he couldn't move on until he could identify three things that were positive from his son dying and i thought holy cow that's insane like how can you do that and he really i mean he really was like my son was amazing i would never have wished him to die but look at all this good that's come from it and that's kind of how I feel about all this stuff. Like in retrospect, you can look back and say, hey, that's actually a really good thing. If I hadn't been diagnosed with leukemia, I wouldn't have changed the trajectory of my life. I wouldn't have gotten out of law and done things that I really love, like real estate. You know, I mean, I love real estate. And I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have been investing in real estate yet if I hadn't gotten sick. Um, so when you combine the sort of preemptively looking for positive and everything, and then when you look back at it, and you see that, you know what, that positive was really, truly the, the good that came out of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's life-changing stuff. You don't have to have bad days. So, Chris, you're going to give up bad days right now? I'd love to give up bad days. No, no, no. Don't say I'd love to. Just say I am. I, I don't have bad days. That's the trick. Days. I yeah. don't have bad days. Yeah, you just got to keep repeating that. I don't have bad days. Today's a good day. If you do that, like, I, pr- I promise you, and I've told this to like thousands of people in the last 25 years, because 25 years of no bad days, right? Um, I think maybe out of those thousands of people, only 10 have actually listened to me. So I wish I could say I made a bigger impact. But I promise you, if you say that enough, like 40, 50 times a day for the next month, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be like, wow, I really don't have bad days anymore. And it's going to just change your life completely. It's one of the greatest things you can do. And even if I'm wrong, and like, maybe you have like 50 good days to everyone bad, because you're not quite as persistent about it as me, because you're not stubborn like I am, uh, you'll still be, you know, 50 times better off. So I agree. Because that's the other thing about bad days, right? Um, They're hard. 
right? Like it's not easy to tell yourself every day you're going to have a good day until it becomes subconscious. It's like going to the gym, you know, you should do it, but you don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, But if you do it a lot, it becomes easier. That's how it is with the, you know, the no bad days thing, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like quitting smoking in a way. Like it's hard, but it gets easier. But the other thing is it's actually easier not to smoke than it is to smoke because smoking requires action and not smoking doesn't require action. Right. That's how I got myself to quit. Honestly, it's the same thing as the no bad days thing. I, I smoked for a decade and then one day I went, you know, why is it so hard to quit smoking? Like I don't have to do anything to quit smoking. I just have to not smoke. So I just remind myself that every day until I was done smoking and it was hard, but it, you know, it worked for me. Um, but that's how I think about bad days. Like they're harder than good days. It's a lot easier just to tell yourself you're not going to have bad days until it becomes true. It's sort of, you know, manifest the good. Um, because Again, and I, I feel like I'm belaboring this point, so I apologize, but good and bad happens to everyone every day. So if you minimize the bad and maximize the good, you're fine. It's a pretty powerful, uh, definitely powerful. Uh, I do enjoy taking away, you know, if something bad happens or something less favorable happens, I do try to see where can I, like, where could I have improved this? Like, where, what's the lesson in this? You know, I, I tend to learn fewer things like on a, about a win that I just had than taking the loss. And now the loss, like, yeah, we can let that spiral out of control or you can just look at it for what it is. Understand that like, well, in the context of this whole day, like this, you know, this little small segment wasn't that great, but there's so much to glean from that, from that moment that you can apply elsewhere. And I, I don't know where yeah. I was going with that, but no, I, it's, it, listen, I think I get what you're saying though, because um, a win feels really good for like 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and then around like 16, 17, 18, 20 seconds in, you're like, okay, cool. That was fun. Uh, now what? It's, it's over, right? You've, you've got this win. Like, and, and it might be a little bit longer. You know, if you make a huge amount of money on a deal and you see a big balance in your bank account and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm rich now or I just got this cool apartment. But whatever it might be that, that win is, it feels really good. But you get used to it really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And um, when you have a negative thing, you make course corrections. And if you make an adjustment for the positive, it, it rewards you forever. The pain of the negative thing is like the the thrill of the good thing. It goes away after a while. You get used to that. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not important to you and that you would have rather have um, you would have rather lost than win, won. But but in retrospect, a lot of the biggest improvements we make in life come from those things. Um, I think it was uh, Hal Elrod in his book Miracle Morning. He said that. Um, the moment you accept complete responsibility for everything in your life is the moment you can change anything in your life. Think about that, right? That's really what you're talking about. You're saying when something bad happens, how I react to it is actually much more important than what actually happened. Exactly. And I I think that's extreme ownership. Yeah. You just got to embrace it. I mean, it might not be your fault that, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. It might be, but, but, but what is your fault is how you react to it and how how you perceive that. Um, I've, I've heard so many examples of people going, Oh, this terrible thing happened. Uh, It were a perspective really would have changed it. 
I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in February of this year. Um, a lot of weird things happened when I climbed Kilimanjaro. It was eight days up, and I left in uh, February 10th. Uh, February 10th was the day the first coronavirus case hit Africa, the continent, right? And when I came down on February 18, eight days later, um, you know, I was in an entirely different world because there was coronavirus everywhere. So I could, on one hand, I could say like, this was like this weird, you know, changing time period, right? But, but there's another thing about it is when I'm climbing up this mountain and it was really hard. I mean, I'm, out of shape and I don't go to the gym enough. Right. And, um, and it's really high. It's the tallest mountain in Africa. So it's 19,000 feet. And my brother got mountain sickness and they had to pull him off the mountain. Like he would have died if he'd continued. They literally put him in the hospital for four days. Um, and, uh, we were in this little small group and he was like, you gotta just keep going. So I kind of felt like I had to do it for him. I told the people in my last life ever group, I was going to do it. So I just kept really going like I just gotta do this I have to do it and and I just wanted to quit so bad especially that last night you know middle of the night freezing cold um exhausted uh trying to climb this mountain at like three four in the morning and pretty soon you see these people just sort of walking by you and they're carrying stuff on their head and because they're like going to set up the next camp or whatever you know they're bringing gear up the mountain whatever it might be and i'm looking at these people just sort of sauntering by and thinking that person's life is so much better than mine right but it's not true. I'm paying thousands of dollars to climb a mountain to go to Africa, right? I mean, all of a sudden, it probably cost me like $20,000. This took a month off of work, you know, climb this mountain and go on safari and all this really fun stuff. That guy's getting paid like $10 a day to climb a mountain, right? So when I'm looking at him and he's walking by me and I'm thinking, wow, his life must be so much better than mine. It's objectively not true. I'm sure he's looking at me and going, I wish I was like fat and out of shape and didn't have to worry about climbing this mountain 14 times a month to carry gear up the mountain, right? So that I can feed my family. And I think that's what you have to think about with this, you know, bad stuff that happens to us is it might seem bad on one level, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. That's what I'm saying about the leukemia thing. It's like, yeah, would I wish it on you? No, I hope you never get leukemia. But would I go back and knock at it if I could? Absolutely not. It's it's made me who I am. Right. It's crazy that uh, it's crazy that sometimes some people need like this life changing event to like kick them in the pants to you know live their best life, live that last life. You know, and um, it, uh, I wish appreciate that branding. That. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wish it was easier for people to see that before they have to, you know, see that rock bottom to, you know, to kick them in the pants. I wish it was just. Yeah, no, I mean, I just watched a video about this. Somebody else was talking about that exact topic yesterday on Facebook somewhere. And it was like, he was talking about how one of his friends died at 25 and it motivated him to, to start doing the things that were on his bucket list. And I'm not a big fan of bucket list because I had this little bucket list, uh, I want to go to the pyramids in Egypt and Machu Picchu and Petra. And, and, and the last thing on that bucket list was Machu Picchu. And I went there and then literally, you know, a week and a half later, I was in the hospital dying. So, um, so I'm a little skeptical about checking things off your bucket list. Uh, it's superstitious maybe, but I have a life list now, right? Things that I just want to do. And, um, and I think that, you know, you're, 
your mind uh, will find ways to do things if you list them and you say, these are things that I want to do. These are things that are important to me. Your subconscious will help get you to those things. But um, to your point, it's way better if you don't have to have a life you know, ending situation, uh, a life-threatening disease or, you know, or any kind of trauma, you know, it might be a divorce. Um, I interviewed a person on my last life ever show who went through a really nasty divorce. So she decided she wanted to travel the world with her children. Um, it's awesome that she traveled the world with her children, but how much better would her life be if she didn't have a divorce and the whole family gets to challenge, you know, what sure. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know, cause I, I'm not in that relationship, but, but the thing is like, if you make these choices to be beyond ordinary, and that's, I think if you want to live an extraordinary life, you really have to be beyond ordinary. That's really what that means. It's extra or beyond and ordinary. Um, and you have to make those choices because you only have one life. That's, that's the, that's why we started last life ever. We want to help people that haven't had leukemia live the best possible version of their life. Um, and, and I always say to people all the time, I'm like, it's not even for you. It's for the whole world. Like if you live the best version of your life, that's not selfish. That's not, I'm going to just go like scuba dive every day and like, you know, take, 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 right. It's Mm -hmm. not that it's, it's helping other people. It's doing charitable work. It's, it's being philanthropist, you know, like being a philanthropist, those things are, are, are your callings. And if you don't pursue your life's purpose, then you're being selfish by not doing that because you have something to offer and whatever that is, you owe it to yourself. Sure. But you owe it to your family, you owe it to your community and really even the world to do that thing, whatever it is, because mm-hmm. you can make the world better. Even if it's just a little bit, right. If we all make the world a little bit better then the world's a lot better. That's heavy. Well, let's, uh, I, I guess we can, we can kind of pivot in kind of a good point to uh, pivot. So like, let's transition to, uh, into a bit and, and dive into your real estate journey, sure. you know, um, why'd you choose to get into real estate and how'd you get started? Okay. Well, I chose it because I thought I was going to die and I didn't want my wife not to have money. That's, mm-hmm. that's the real reason. I mean, I, I was always interested in real estate. I was a weirdo. When I was 15, I would sneak out uh, of my bedroom late at night, turn on the television and watch like Carlton Sheets, No Money Down infomercials. You know, most 15 year olds get out and I don't know what they watch. Probably not that though, right? <laughs> but, well, that's Specifically not that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, and I don't think anyone watches that anymore because, uh, you know, rest in peace, Carlton. He died last year. But uh, um, but but that's the kind of stuff I did. I, and I would drive. I remember even when I wasn't driving, I'd be in the car with my parents and we'd drive by like an abandoned warehouse and I'd be like, I wonder what it would be like to own that. So I was always interested in real estate. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when it first came out when I was a senior in high school or maybe right after high school. Um, so I knew the concepts really, really well. And I just kept thinking, oh, I'll do them later. Uh, you know, when I get out of school, I'll start investing in real estate. When I get out of law school, I'll start investing in real estate. Once my law firm is stable and growing, then I'll start investing in real estate. Um, and that's not the right way to do it. Right. You know, and so the motivating factor for me was getting sick. Um, how I actually did it, which is, which is actually really instructive because if you think about this, I don't work anymore, right? I did take a job after I filed bankruptcy. I went and worked for a trucking company for six years. Um, 
but I don't work. I live on my real estate investments. It's not like uh, podcasting makes me rich, as you probably know, as a podcaster, right? So, so I live on my real estate investing. And the reason I can do that is because I've been very motivated to grow my portfolio. 250 units is what you said, but it's actually about 300 now because we picked up 50 this year. Um, and, and by the way, in spite of coronavirus, right, like 50 this year. Like nice. 2020. Um, and, and I also took a month off. So who knows where I would be if I hadn't had coronavirus in a month in Africa. Um, but, but, but I did that within seven years of filing bankruptcy. So my bankruptcy is, I mean, your bankruptcy, chapter seven bankruptcy stays on your credit report for 10 years. I filed bankruptcy in 2010. It was December of 2010. So, I mean, it's still on my record today as we sit here and talk about it. And I'm really happy it's going to be gone in a month and a half, right? Like, I'm, that's exciting for me. But I didn't have any money and I didn't have any credit. And I thought I have to start investing in real estate. So I was just forced to get really super creative. I took a, I was fortunate. I took a pretty high paying job. So I was able to save up $20,000 in about six months, uh, which really helped. And I didn't have any other debt besides my student loans. Uh, which I still have because they don't go away in bankruptcy. And um, it's, and uh, so I just saved this $20,000 up. And then my friend Travis, um, who had been doing real, a guy I met in law school, he had been doing real estate the whole time. Uh, he said to me, you know, I have this deal. It seems like a really good deal. It's a condo uh, and we can buy it for, from the bank. It's a foreclosure because it's 2011, right? This stuff was stupid cheap then mm-hmm. uh, for $35,000. Do you want to split it with me? Because I told them I had saved up this 20000 and I said, yeah, sure. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to take our savings and I'm going to buy a condo with Travis. And she was like, no, <laughs> like we're not going to do that because that's all of our money. And I was like, listen, it's Travis. And she's like, okay, uh, we'll do it one time. But if this doesn't work out, we're never investing in real estate again. So then I got really motivated to make sure it was going to work out. Right. I thought, sure. got to make sure this is a good deal. Uh, and we dug into the numbers and it looked really good. And we still own it today. It's probably worth like $150,000 or something now. Um, uh, it was in a really good location and it was a, you know, it went down 70% in the crash. So it just, you just knew it was going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we were able to buy that and then we didn't have any money left, but then another uh, deal came out in the same building, the same complex that was a similar price. And we just figured we'll get it under contract and we'll find the money somewhere. Uh, because it's a good deal, right? Money follows good deals. And uh, in that case, my uh, buddy Travis was actually able to loan me the money for a short period of time. And then we were able to get a small mortgage on it uh, to cover that. And we sold on that one too. And then from there, we just started, okay, now we have two deals. And Travis had some more. And we just went to people we knew and we're like, look, these are the kinds of deals we're finding. They're really great. Why don't you loan us money? Uh, you know, and we just did the private money thing for the next couple of years and ended up borrowing over a million dollars in uh, the next five years um, in private money, 6% interest only. And people were happy with it because they just wanted the money. And, uh, you know, we did that. Um, and eventually we were able to start, you know, refinancing, 1031-ing um, and getting into apartments. But really didn't buy my first apartment complexes until after I quit working. Wow. So, so you said you got you said you were able to uh, get a, a 50 unit this year, right? Well, we bought 50 units this year. Oh, okay. It's actually a 16 unit, a 12 unit, um a duplex and uh and a 22 unit. 
So that's 52 oh. units, I think, actually. Um, but yeah, something like that, <laughs> right around there. So, so I was curious, like, you know, a, a lot of people kind of feel the effects of COVID, you know, across the nation. They're, everybody's feeling something a little bit different. And I was curious, like, you had goals going into this year. Did that, did that change at all? Like, with all this stuff coming up, and I know you guys lucked out on this, but yeah, how does that change I'm, your planning going forward? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, well, it's it's still a tricky market. Uh, interest rates are really, really low. So we've been strategically refinancing some of our other apartments. In fact, we're closing on one tomorrow, um, which is the second apartment complex we ever bought. It was 19 units. Um, and we're going we're gonna to take out $300,000 in cash at close. Mm-hmm. And uh, our payment's going down. <laughs> That's how crazy interest rates have come down in the last three years, right? Um, And we had a prepayment penalty, so we weren't able to refinance it literally until this week. I mean, we bought it like three years ago this this week, and so we're refinancing it and pulling cash out and getting a lower payment. So so there is some opportunity there because of that, right? You Mm -hmm. sort of – real estate – it accum- it's like anything, it compounds on itself. So the more you have, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to start slow and just keep building. And we didn't take any money out the first six years. So we we were able to grow really fast. And uh, only now are we starting to really take money out. Um, but yeah, so we changed a little bit. We, um, we backed away from a package that we were going to buy uh, in the spring because we just weren't sure. Um, we actually closed the 16 unit on um, the middle in the middle of March, right? Literally the first day of the shutdown. That Monday was the day we were scheduled to close. And I remember sitting there with my partner um, from my real estate show, who we were buying it together, and at closing and looking at him and going, "Man, this has gotten really weird, really fast. Should we even buy this thing?" Uh, but we had been working on it for six months before that. It was a pretty complicated deal. Um, we got into it. Uh, ultimately with none of our own money. Uh, so it worked out, you know, really, um, you know, really looked good on paper. Uh, and it has been working. I mean, we've turned uh, five units out of the 16. Um, that's been slowed because eviction moratoriums and, you know, things like that. And we didn't, uh, we didn't do any rent increases for the first several months uh, after we bought it because we're like, we don't know what's happening. We're just going to let it go for right now and sure. just kind of, you know, try to keep expenses in line and stuff. Uh, but it's, it's going really well, but uh, yeah, I, it's been a weird year. Uh, I suspect it'll continue to remain weird for the next uh, 18 months. Um, not all because of coronavirus, but because we're due for some kind of real estate correction of some kind. And I don't know how that, the weird thing is I hear people saying prices are going to go way down or prices are going to go way up. Uh, Interest rates are going to be down forever. They got to go up sometime. Um, I don't think anyone really knows. So we're just being super conservative in our underwriting right now under the theory that if it pays for itself and we don't have to refinance, we don't care. So if we can lock in these stupid low rates and it still pays for itself. Like the 19 unit, it's got like a 1.6 deck coverage ratio after the refinance. Um, So that's okay. Like we have a lot of room for rents to go down or vacancy to go up and we'll still be able to pay for that. Uh, And so that's kind of our strategy right now uh, is kind of, you know, make sure that everything's really, really conservative uh, until we see what happens. That's awesome. You know, I think uh, we're starting to run out a little bit of time here. Uh, it's been a, a, a wonderful conversation with you, man. Really, 
And uh, I really enjoyed having you here and just to kind of hear about your story. Uh, but before we get out of here, I wanted to take a little bit of time and shine the spotlight on you, Jeff. You know, so just go ahead and tell me, tell the listeners what you have going on. Uh, sure. So, I mean, I feel like I've been basically doing a sales pitch for myself the whole time. Of course, I'm not actually selling anything, which makes it easy. Um, so last life ever, uh, is my, that's sort of, you know, that's a big thing for me. So the last life ever is a podcast. Um, and we interview extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, but also ordinary people doing things that help our audience. Um, And uh, it's just really, like I said, about trying to live the very best version of your life. We also have a Facebook group, the Last Life Ever private Facebook group. I think it's the Last Life Ever on Facebook and you'll find it. Um, And uh, we'd encourage people to join that because that's the best place to, you know, connect with me and hear more about my story and about my partner uh, in Last Life Ever, Jillian Sedoti is a real estate syndication attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, She's like Grant Cardone's attorney. You probably heard of him. Um, so, you know, she's really interesting and fascinating as well. And we just kind of hang out in there and we, we, that's our, both of us, that's our passion. Like we, if we could do just that, we would do just that. Um, the real estate stuff that we do supports that it doesn't, you know, that's, that's it. Um, so if you want to support my real estate or you just want to hear more about my real estate investing, um, I have the old fashioned real estate show with my partner, Brian Leverage, who has like the best name in all of real estate leverage. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just get drunk and talk about real estate. It's best to watch that on YouTube. Of course, it's on all the podcasting apps sure. as well, but it's more fun to watch because we literally do pour bourbon old fashions and drink real estate or drink real estate, drink and talk about real estate. I think I'm drinking now the way I'm talking. Um, but that's been a lot of fun. I mean, we've really enjoyed doing that show. In fact, that's how I met Jillian because she was our first ever guest on that show. Uh, and, and we just bonded and, and, and started Last Life Ever together. So... Um, but that's, I mean, you can find out, you can, if you really want to give me money, I mean, I'm happy to do that too. You can buy like stuff that says old fashioned real estate on it on our website. So old fashioned real estate.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you can go to jeffreyholst.com if you just want to hang out with me, I guess. Okay. So that's it. That's all I got. How's that for shining a light on everything I'm hey, doing? That's exactly what I need to hear. You covered kind of all the bases. But, uh, you know, Jeff, it was great having you on the show. Uh, I know I truly appreciate having you on here, hearing about your story and where you've come from to where you are today. Uh, It's inspiring to me, and I'm sure it's going to be inspiring to others. And uh, I I really appreciate your time today, sir. Oh, thanks for having Uh, me on. And if you ever want me on again, I'll probably be able to do that. You know, I I think we will work towards that. Uh, I think you'd be a hoot to bring on, you know, when... uh, when Danny's back around. Yeah. Sorry. He wasn't able to make it today. So, but anyway, it's been really fun and thanks for having me on, sir. I hope you have a great day and uh, good luck. I will. (laughs) I will too. Good (laughs) to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.